0: Hello, and welcome to a history of Alexander the Great, Remastered, Episode 7, I Have Undone It. After capturing Miletus, Alexander had disbanded his fleet. He did this as he knew he wouldn't be able to defeat the Persian navy in a naval battle, and he had already crossed into Asia. He instead pursued a policy of defeating the Persian navy from the land by capturing all the ports along the Mediterranean coast. Alexander thus moved along from Miletus with his army into Caria, the major city of which was Halicarnassus. Caria had previously been ruled by Queen Ada, who had been usurped by her brother Pixodorus, who you'll remember from earlier had tried to arrange a marriage between his eldest daughter and Alexander's half-brother, Arihideus, and later Alexander. Pixadarus had died in 335 BC, and Darius appointed Orontabates, the stepson of Pixidarus, as governor of Caria. Ada was currently hiding in the city of Alinda. Memnon, who you'll remember from episode 4, had retreated to Halicarnassus after his defeat at the Granicus, and had been appointed controller of Lower Asia and commander of the fleet. Memnon and Orontobates were preparing the defence of Halicarnassus when Alexander arrived in mid-334. Alexander set up camp half a mile from the city, preparing for a long siege. In the first few days, he made a few attempts against the city, and then made a night attack against one of the surrounding towns, Mindus. This would help him take Halicarnassus, because locals said they would surrender to him. However, they did not surrender. Alexander tried taking Mindus anyway, even though he wasn't prepared for a siege, ordering his troops to begin sapping operations. those of you who don't know, sapping is digging a tunnel under a wall, so the wall collapses. The Macedonians managed to destroy one fort, but the town was aided by reinforcements from Halicarnassus, and held out. So, Alexander returned to his original position. In preparation for the siege, the Halicarnassans had dug a trench around the city, so the Macedonians couldn't move their siege engines up to the walls. So, Alexander filled in the trench, which was 45 feet wide and 23 feet deep about 14 metres wide and 7 metres deep, for those of you who prefer metric measurements. The Halicarnassans tried setting the siege works on fire, but the Macedonians fended them off. A few days later, a pair of soldiers were drinking, and soon started a competition. They decided that seen as how they were both, in the woods Varian, stout fellows, there would be nothing better than for them to try and take the city single-handedly. A few guards from the city saw these stout fellows and went to kill them, but they were killed by the Macedonians hurling missiles at them. The Halicarnassans outnumbered the Macedonians, so more Macedonians went to help out the pair, and reinforcements from the city helped the Halicarnassans. The Macedonians succeeded in fending off the Halicarnassans, and launched an attack on the city walls, which were, at the moment, inadequately defended. The Macedonians destroyed several towers and made a breach in the wall, but they were unable to take the city due to their small numbers. The Halicarnassans built a crescent-shaped brick wall in the breach. Deciding that this was a weak point, Alexander focused his attacks on it. Alexander launched an attack the next day and the Halicarnassans again tried setting the siege engines on fire, but the Macedonians repulsed them. After waiting a few days, Alexander renewed his attack on the wall, and once again the defenders went out with flaming bands to set fire to the siege engines. But the Macedonians once again fought back. This was disastrous for the Halicarnassans. A thousand were killed in the retreat, as they fled they overwhelmed the city's infrastructure, collapsing a bridge. Alexander called off the assault to save the city. Orontobates and Memnon had a meeting. They realised the city was going to fall, no question. There was a breach in the wall, and had suffered heavy losses. So it was around midnight, they decided to set the city on fire, and fled to the Archonessi a nearby island stronghold, and the high ground of the city, known as Salmachis. Alexander set troops out to save the city. Daylight showed that the Persian forces had fled to the Archonessi and to Salmachis, but Alexander decided not to besiege these fortifications. They already had the city, so what was the point? It would take too much time for too little gain. He left Ptolemy, future king of Egypt Ptolemy, with 3,000 troops and 200 cavalry to secure the remaining strongholds. Alexander then found Queen Ada in Alinda and made her governor of Caria. Alexander had a very unusual relationship with Queen Ada. It was very affectionate, Ada realised that Alexander had a sweet tooth, so she used to send him delicacies. Ada also adopted Alexander, which was a very clever move for Alexander, as it meant he would gain control of Carrier upon her death. Alexander used to call Ada mother. This leads some to question the relationship between Alexander and his mother, considering this to be Alexander divorcing his mother, and, as we shall soon see, Will denounce his father too. Alexander rewarded his troops by allowing those troops who recently married to return to their wives over the winter of 334 333. This act made him loved by the native troops. As well as this, Alexander sent one of his senior commanders, Cleander, back to the Peloponnese to recruit troops. He sent Parmenio to Sardis where he could then enter Phrygia, central Anatolia. while he himself advanced along the coast into Lycia and Pamphylia, which, if you're looking at a map, is just along the coast from the southwestern corner of Turkey. After capturing the region, Alexander learned of a plot against his life, organised by, wait for it, an Alexander. Typical. I'll call this Alexander... Alexandros, to differentiate. Apparently, Alexandros was already under suspicion for murdering Philip, but Alexander pardoned Alexandros, as Alexandros had supported Alexander after the death of Philip. Alexandros was given numerous appointments, and was eventually made commander of the Thessalian cavalry. A Macedonian deserter, who we'll hear more of later, Amintas, told Darius that Alexandros would be willing to, um, uh, how to say this eloquently, whack Alexander. Darius, in turn, sent an assistant to the region. The stated region was to speak to the local government, but he was really going to meet with Alexandros. He was to tell Alexandros that if he killed Alexander, he would receive 1,000 talents, and the throne of Macedonia, but he was caught by Parmenio. This explained an omen during the siege of Halicarnassus, which Aristander said portended the treachery of a friend. Alexander sent a message to Parmenio, who then arrested Alexandros. Alexander continued his advance through the region, including one very notable anecdote. Apparently, while walking along the coast, Alexander decided to go along the beach for a while. The area was reportedly impassable, as the tide was in, but then the tide suddenly went out, and Alexander was able to pass. Alexander never mentions this anecdote, which you think he would do, hinting that the story never happened, but Arian tries to give an explanation, saying that it was just a change in wind direction which caused this. It's quite possible that something reasonable like this happened, allowing him to take a shortcut, which was then embellished until it turned into a miracle. A process probably started by Alexander's official historian Callisthenes, with Alexander's approval might I add. Alexander carried on along the coast until he conquered the town of Saide. He then turned back as there were no more major ports along the coast. Heading north, Alexander failed to take the town of Cylon, partly because it would require a siege, and partly because Aspendus, another city he had conquered, was in revolt. After putting this revolt down, Alexander headed north into central Turkey, eventually reaching the city of Gordium in early to mid 333. Firstly, to deal with logistics, Gordium saw the reunifying of Alexander's army. Parmenio returned with his forces, the recently married troops came back, along with the reinforcements collected by Cleander. Now, Alexander's stay at Gordium, despite my prioritising, is not famous for logistical reasons. There is a rather famous story. Right, are you all sitting comfortably? Yes, Good. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, lived a man called Gordius. Gordius was ploughing his field when an eagle landed on the yoke of the wagon and stayed there until the oxen pulling the wagon were set loose at the end of the day. Gordius was troubled by this, and so went to a nearby town which was famous as its citizens were skilled in the arts of divination. At the town, he found a girl who told him to go back home and make a sacrifice to Zeus the king. The girl went back and showed him how to make the sacrifices. They fell in love, got married, and had a son called Midas. Many years later, when Midas had grown up into a fine and handsome man, there was trouble in Phrygia. An oracle told them that a wagon would bring an end to their quarrels. One day, Midas and his father and mother came to the Phrygian meeting place, and the Phrygians decided that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy. They made Midas king, and they all lived happily ever after. Well, apart from that, Midas gained the power to turn everything into gold, turned his daughter into a golden statue, lost this power, lost a musical contest to Apollo, and ended up with his ears turning into those of a donkey's. But apart from all that, they lived happily ever after. There is another story of Midas's origin, but I won't go into that. Anyway, the wagon ended up at Gordium somehow, and the knot tying the staff of the wagon to the yoke was incredibly complicated. It was very large, with the ends hidden in the middle of the knot. It was said that the man who undid the knot would become the lord of all Asia, Asia meaning the Persian Empire. This was a bit of a problem for Alexander. Obviously, he couldn't leave without undoing the knot. What kind of message would that send? He would need the backing of the knot for PR reasons. So, how to undo it? There are two versions. The boring version, offered by Aristobulus, which goes he merely pulled out the pin, a wooden peg going through the shaft, which held the knot together. By removing the pin, he could simply remove the yoke from the staff. Then, there is the other version, which says Alexander pulled out his sword and sliced the knot, proclaiming, I have undone it. That night, there was thunder, which, according to Arian, is obviously a sign from the heavens. We'll leave Alexander for a moment to take a look at the wider war. Although Alexander's personal campaign is very important for the war, there were other parts to it which cannot be dismissed. While Alexander and his generals focused on capturing Asia Minor, there was also an ongoing campaign in the Greek islands. While Alexander was marching along the southern coast, Memnon had left Halicarnassus and headed for the Aegean with the Persian navy which had come from Egypt, Cyprus, and Phoenicia, which was, as you'll remember, just too late to prevent Miletus from falling to Alexander. Memnon wanted to prevent Alexander from advancing further east. There were two ways of doing this, one, cutting off Alexander's supplies, and two, causing unrest in Greece. Memnon attempted both, Memnon made contact with Aegis, the king of Sparta. Together, they planned an attack on Greece and Macedonia, which would be aided by an uprising of several Greek cities. This would lead to the taking of the Hellespont, which would cut off Alexander's supplies. The loss of supplies, and the threat to Greece and Macedonia, would force Alexander to turn back, protecting Asia. It was a very good plan. Memnon took the island of Chios, and after this advanced to Lesbos, and took the towns on the island apart from Mytilene, which refused to turn over to Persia, so Memnon put the town under siege. It was while preparing for the siege, in August of 333, that Memnon died aged 47 for unknown reasons, probably a fever. It is not an understatement when Arian says his death was the most serious setback which Persia received during this period of the war. See Arian Book 2, Chapter 1. Memnon announced that his successor, pending approval from Darius, would be his nephew Pharnabazus. Pharnabasis captured Mytilene and thus controlled all of Lesbos. The next island was Tenados, which once captured, gave Pharnabazus control of the Hellespont. Antipater then ordered that warships be collected from Euboea and the Peloponnese to defend Greece from a Persian attack by sea. This brings us up to date in this theatre of the war, so we'll rejoin Alexander now, and come back to Pharnabazus at some point in the future. Once Alexander learned of the death of Memnon, he felt much more comfortable advancing into the interior of the Persian Empire, and so he left Gordium heading east. Two days after untying the knot, he set out for Ankara in Galatia. After taking Ankara, he headed into Cappadocia, eastern Turkey. He took the region and headed south, where he reached the Sicilian Gates. To briefly explain the term, Sicilian Gates... It refers to a pass through the mountains, which would be one of the few entrances, if not the only entrance, to a region. As you can work out, the Sicilian gate is a pass into Sicilia, the region along the coast of southern Turkey. The gates were heavily defended, so Alexander left Parmenio behind with the heavy infantry, while he took the lighter troops and the cavalry to attack the gates under the cover of night. This part of the plan didn't work as the Persians saw him, but it can still be considered a success, as the Persians fled to Darius once they realised Alexander was going to attack them. Alexander made his way to Tarsus, a city in Sicilia, and Alexander fell sick. According to the sources, this was either from exhaustion, or from swimming in the River Kindus, which is ice-cold water. He had a high fever and sleepless nights. All but one of his doctors feared for his life. Most refused to treat him, understanding that if they failed, they would be blamed for his death. Despite this, one doctor, Philippa of Acarnania, who was a good soldier as well as a doctor, decided that he couldn't live with himself abandoning Alexander, so he gave him a laxative. While Philip was preparing the medicine, Alexander received a note from Parmenio. It said, Beware of Philip. I am informed that he has been bribed by Darius to poison you. See Arian, Book 2, Chapter 4. When Philip came back with the medicine, Alexander handed Philip the note And drank the medicine while Philip was reading. Philip simply told Alexander to follow his instructions, and he would recover. This is notable for several reasons. Firstly, as the sources are quick to point out, it shows Alexander in a good light. He is very trusting in the story. He refuses to suspect treachery, and is unmoved by the possibility of death. These are very admirable character traits, but the story also contains a darker side. After the death of Parmenio, which I won't get into now, there was some heavy character assassination. This story shows Alexander ignoring Parmenio's bad advice, showing Parmenio in a negative light. We've seen this before in Arian and Plutarch's account of the Battle of the River Granicus, and just before the Siege of Miletus, so bear in mind that Parmenio was probably much more competent than sections of the sources say he was. Having brought Alexander to Tarsus, let's bring the situation up to date, and formally introduce Alexander's foe, Darius, king of kings. Codamanus was born into the Persian royal family in three He was the grandson of the then-ruling king, Artaxerxes II. Artaxerxes II was succeeded by his son, Artaxerxes III. He reigned from 358 to 338, and spent most of his reign putting down revolts. Once he had crushed all of them in 343, it was Artaxerxes who began strengthening Persian power in Ionia. And in the Aegean. Isocrates, an Athenian statesman, called for a crusade against the barbarians, but Greece was too weak to do anything about it, and was about to be crushed by Philip II of Macedonia and his young son Alexander. By 338, it was clear Philip was planning an invasion, but Artaxerxes was killed before he could do anything to stop him. Artaxerxes was killed by one of his former generals, Bagoas, who had become vizier, chief minister to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes III was succeeded by his son, Artaxerxes IV, Arses, who I'll call Arses so we don't confuse him with his father. No one expected Arses to succeed Artaxerxes, as he was Artaxerxes' youngest son. But when Begoas killed Artaxerxes, he killed most of his family too. Arces ruled from three thirty eight to three thirty six during this period, he was nothing more than a puppet king being controlled by Begoas. However, Arces soon tired of this and conspired to kill his puppet master. However, Begoas discovered the plot and poisoned Arces and raised a cousin of Arces's to the throne, Codamanus. Codomanus had distinguished himself in combat, and was serving as a royal courier. When he ascended to the throne, he took the regal name Darius. Darius was just as unwilling to be controlled as Arses, so Begoas tried to poison Darius, but Darius refused to drink the poison, and forced Begoas to drink it, killing the troublesome minister. Before we finish with Begoas, I'll quickly mention that it was supposedly Begoas who killed Alexander's father Philip. Anyway, back to Darius. You would think that, as the most powerful man in the world, Darius would have a good life. Having just removed this troublesome minister, the future for Persia would be bright. If you did think this, you would be mistaken. Bagoas was a very good general and a skilled administrator. Darius was neither. He was not a great leader. He had no experience of governing a large empire and didn't possess the talents and qualities the empire needed. To make matters worse, it was not a period of peace which would allow Darius to grow into the job. It was a very turbulent period the Persia. Those revolts I mentioned Artaxerxes III as putting down were by no means minor. In 380, Egypt had rebelled and had remained independent for 40 years. When he had failed to retake it in 351, the whole Western Empire burst into revolt. For the last hundred years, Persian influence in the East was fading, as the border fell back from the indus it is obvious that alexander's invasion in 334 was a huge problem for darius but this simple version ignores the big problem how and why was alexander allowed to invade persia in the first place they had known about the invasion for years if the empire was in any sound state of affairs you would expect there to be a force preventing him from crossing, or at least a force greater than the one controlled by Memnon, which was outnumbered by Alexander, probably three to one. Darius didn't hurry to face Alexander, not thinking that Alexander intended to conquer the world, instead thinking his satraps would deal with the problem. It is understandable not to expect Alexander would try and conquer the world, But you should never underestimate your enemy. Needless to say, things were not perfect in the Persian Empire. Darius was not doing nothing, though. While Alexander was advancing through Asia Minor, Darius was advancing through Mesopotamia. He left Susa with a force supposedly 600,000 strong, but this is surely an overestimate. Modern estimates are around 100,000 including 11,000 cavalry, 10,000 Persian immortals, and 10,000 Greek mercenaries. It was in late 333 that Darius was waiting for Alexander in the nearby plains, and this is where we'll leave him for this episode. If you've enjoyed today's show, check us out online. thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod YouTube.com forward slash the History of Podcast, or send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week when we focus on the first battle between Alexander and Darius. The Battle of Isis.